The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guests this hour are Gavin, Gavin Magor, who is the Senior Insurance Analyst at Weiss Ratings, and Gene Kirsch, who is the Senior Banking Analyst at Weiss Ratings. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Welcome Thanks, to Jordan. Gene, just start us a little bit about what Weiss Ratings does uh, and the kind of financial strength ratings they do. Just kind of an overall view. Uh, yeah, basically, uh, we've been rating banks since 1980 uh, and uh, insurance somewhat after that. And um, basically, w- we uh, rate banks, credit unions, and global banks uh, based on uh, five different indexes, which include capital, asset quality, profitability, liquidity, and stability. And basically, we assign a financial strength rating, uh, A plus through E minus, uh, obviously A plus being excellent, and all the way down to E being very weak. Okay, so let's. We're going to start with a kind of an overall view on the both banking and the insurance side. Um, in general, Gene, is the banking sector around the world and the United States getting stronger or weaker with what's been happening in the economy lately? Well, the recent trend has been for uh, domestic banking, anyway, and credit unions to a lesser degree, uh, trending stronger as far as the ratings. There happen to be more uh, stronger rated banks and fewer weakest or weak rated banks. And the same thing applies for the domestic or the U.S. credit unions as well. And what is making the banks and credit unions stronger? Well, basically, uh, from the depths of the financial crisis, they've been mandated by the, uh, the Fed to uh, have higher capital requirements, which has uh, bolstered their um, capital and liquidity. So the banks are stronger to withstand uh, future, future um, shocks to their system, if you will, uh, if, if, if another crisis or, or, or an impending, um, you know, um, recession were to come back. So the, the banks are clearly better well positioned to withstand, um, uh, you know, economic crisis this time around. So that's on the domestic front. How about internationally? We recently had the crisis yeah. in Cyprus and so on. What, what is the international situation? Unfortunately, the global banks, uh, primarily the uh, European Union banks, uh, of which Cyprus, Greece, and obviously Germany, France are, are part of, um, are in a different position. There are um, quite a few more, uh, on a percentage basis, uh, weaker weaker banks uh, globally, and I said primarily in the uh, European Union. And is that because of bad loans? And what is well, I mean, bad they're, loans they're, and they're, just the overall economy. Uh, many of the economies in Europe are in recession or near recession levels. Um, I would say they're a couple of years behind where the uh, domestic U.S. banks are. Um, they're probably back we we were in like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. But they are increasing capital standards for the European banks as well. Is that, that going to oh, strengthen them correct. over time? Yeah, yeah. They're required by the European Union as well. Uh, banking regulatory um, agencies there to 
have higher capital requirements. Unfortunately, a lot of the banks aren't there yet, um, so and they're struggling with a lot of uh, non-performing loans as well. And Gavin, let's take an overall view on the insurance side. How about both domestically and internationally? Are insurance company ratings in general getting stronger or weaker? Um, well, certainly they're they're returning to where they were um, in in the U.S. Um, I'm back in 2008. Uh, there were only uh, 10 insurance companies that uh, failed through the year. That that rocketed up through 2009 when there were about 32 failures. And that's gradually um, settled down to a higher level than it was before, and it seems to have got a little bit uh, industry-specific. Um, so we're, we're looking at roughly 20 failures a year. Now, that's considerably different to, to the way that the banking crisis broke. Um, and insurance companies have been very strictly regulated by the individual state insurers for some time. So I think that that probably has something to do with why it more, was more of a, a blip followed by a, a higher level because of the pressure that uh, Gene has just talked about, but uh, certainly doesn't seem to be as large a crisis as banking has had. Even so, 20 failures is still a lot for insurance companies that are so highly regulated. What has been the cause of failures when there are failures in the insurance company area? Well, they, they started off with the, the some of the obvious failures were the companies involved uh, heavily in the, uh, the RMBS uh, portfolios, and you had uh, some of the uh, mortgage guarantee insurers. So the all of the uh, things that caused the financial crisis or um, that were introduced into the financial crisis, those insurers uh, suffered. Those were, they were directly impacted because of their business models. Um, like an AIG, I mean, that kind of thing. That, that's, that's, yes, the AIG and uh, AMBAC were uh, two of the, the, the companies that were clearly in, in the news for, for what happened. And uh, some of those, you know, they're working their way through with AIG having bought itself um, back into um, contention in the markets. Um, they appear to be trying to be forgiven by the country for, for what happened. Um, but let's not forget there were, there were a lot of casualties out there um, in the meantime. Indeed. So uh, let's get a sense of how... Consumers and, and people buying insurance policies and bank depositors should use the Weiss ratings. We're going to go into detail of what goes into the ratings. But maybe, Gene, let's just start with you. <clears throat> if you're either an investor in bank stocks, a depositor uh, at a bank, how should you use the Weiss ratings once you know what they are at a particular bank? Well, the Weiss ratings obviously look at the financial uh, strength of the company. So it would be uh, beneficial for both depositors and investors alike to look at the financial strength of a of an institution. Um, obviously, Weiss is very uh, conservative in our ratings. We don't take money from um, the institutions that we rate, so we're very independent, and um, our ratings can be relied upon. Like I said, just to just based on the financial statements of of the institution, we consider anything to be a in the A category or B plus, uh, to be uh, one of the strongest uh, financial institutions. With those in the uh, B to B minus category is good. Obviously, C is fair or average, and you, you really don't want anything in the weak or very weak categories. 
those have substantial risk of um, I wouldn't say failure necessarily, but there there are risks as far as uh, the institution in one of the five indexes that we rate. What what is roughly the current distribution of ratings among the banking sector? I mean, roughly what percentage are high, medium, and low? Yeah, well, right now we rate uh, the strongest institutions are from, like I said, from B plus or above, and those would generally be uh, for for U.S. banks alone. Right now, at Q4, December 31st, 2012, we're at 15% of the banks, 15.3% of the banks are rated strongest, B-plus or higher. In contrast, we have the weakest banks, which are D-plus or lower, and the weak or very weak categories. We have 19% of those institutions that are rated very weak. And, and that is down quite substantially from, um, from just over a little over a year ago, which we had 31% of the institutions rated as weak. So is, is that some of them have gone under, or the, the weak ones have gotten stronger? No, they've, the weak ones have gotten stronger. We've only had uh, five failures this year alone, and 51 for um, 2012, um, well off the peak from 2010 when we had 157 at the height of the financial uh, crisis. What, what is the status of the FDIC insurance fund? Is it adequately funded to it, uh, it, take care of what's out there? Well, they're making up for it. I think they're still... Um, deficiencies in the fund, but I believe that they've raised um, the rates that they take out to the uh, banks that they charge their uh, financial institution members uh, a little bit higher to help make up for that. So, um, you know, like I said, we still have the $250,000 guarantee. Uh, whether that will be permanent or go back down to $100,000, um, that's yet to be determined. But the, like I said, the risk of failure has significantly dropped in the last two years. So you don't think people should worry about the F adequacy of the FDIC to cover any uh, losses? Well, I would no. I, I would I would have full faith in the FDIC to cover losses should they occur. Again, as an, a depositor, you want to be cognizant of how much money you have in any one institution at one time to make sure that you're protected. Uh, unlike what happened in Cyprus, where some of those depositors that were exposed over a hundred thousand euros um, potentially will lose some of their money. And, and, Gavin, let's take a look at the insurance side. Uh, what is the kind of overall distribution of strong versus weak insurance companies? Well, uh, we're uh, slightly different to the, to the banking area. We, we actually look at uh, a breakdown between the, the property and casualty insurers, the, the health insurers, and the life and annuity insurers. So we, we specifically look at those industries because they, uh, they're in different businesses. Uh, to all intents and purposes, they complete different financial statements, and we have uh, a good idea of, of how they're performing. So just uh, for an example, uh, the majority of the health insurers um, are in the uh, A and B category. So 45.3% 40, are, are rated as, as good, and uh, just under 15% rated as, as excellent. If you look at the life, um, you've got a similar situation with 45 0.2 and 8% rated uh, good or, or excellent. But when you look at the property and casualty insurers, uh, we've only got uh, just under 25% rated good and 2% rated excellent. And this highlights to us uh, something that we've definitely noticed and is borne out in the uh, failure rates, uh, that the property and casualty insurers are definitely... Uh, those that are struggling the most and are, are the weak link uh, for insurance. 
And why is that? Because there's been a lot of storms and, and uh, property damage? Well, the property and casualty uh, does include all of these mortgage guarantee insurers. It does include any bond insurers. Uh, so anything that's auto, um, property, uh, such like that, that's all included under property and casualty. Uh, so they've, they have suffered a little bit because of that. Um, but added to that, they're also suffering because of the, the tradition in the industry which is basically to try to only lose a little on the premium and to make up the money on the investment side uh, that they've done with the, the premiums they've taken off you and me. Um, and, of course, uh, the last uh, two or three years, investing uh, has been a pretty tricky business when you're trying to do that uh, not on a, a, a day-to-day basis. It's all right if you're a day trader, to, to take advantage of um, the, the volatility, but uh, that's not the sort of thing that insurers do. So they've had some pretty poor returns, and it uh, doesn't look like that's improving anytime soon, and that's made it harder for them to make profits and has subsequently uh, eaten, eaten into uh, their, their business model and, and made it actually unsustainable for some of the companies. So what is the outlook going forward since it looks like interest rates are going to stay low for quite a while? They're not going to be able to earn much on their premium. What is the outlook going forward for these companies? It's uh, pretty rough, frankly. Um, the property and casualty insurers, depending on, depending on specifically the business they're in, have been hoping for a, a market to harden, which means that they would be able to charge higher premiums uh, and, and actually uh, cover their their basic expenses, in other words, the losses, the claims that you and I make, um, no matter what sort of insurance uh, it is. But the capacity out there is is so large that uh, essentially they can't charge more than they are charging, uh, which then means that uh, everybody is scrambling for that little piece of business. And uh, the larger insurers um, are certainly in a position... Um, to, uh, should we say, undercut the smaller insurers uh, and at least have some of that market uh, on the basis that they will then be able to continue on in, in business in, in the future when things get a little better. So does this mean that people should worry about the uh, financial solidity of their property casualty company if there's some big storm that comes along that they might not get uh, you know, covered as they'd expect? There's certainly some challenges out there. Um, we do uh, see that uh, insurers who are, who are struggling um, have a habit of either denying claims or, or uh, being very, very, very slow with the payouts. Of course, they're trying to manage their cash flows like you and I would at home, um, but they have all the power. It's very hard to demand from an insurer that they send you a check immediately. Uh, they are in control, and uh, ultimately, if they if they delay things, then, as we saw with Sandy, um, there are a lot of people in uh, the New Jersey who uh, who are still struggling to sort out claims. Some of the insurers have been very very good about it, um, and yet there, we saw simply by the effect of uh, delaying something. It, it has a devastating effect on people's uh, ability to move forward. So, yes, 
you should worry about your uh, property and casualty insurer if they are uh, poorly rated um, because it's not just a case of complete failure. It's a case of disrupting your life, and it's a case of being able to, to get on with um, doing the necessary repairs if it's, uh, if it's your home. And uh, certainly anyone on the Gulf Coast or Florida will know all about that. When hurricanes come, you know, you don't get a whole lot of notice, and there's absolutely nothing you can do. It's happening. Indeed. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guests today are Gavin Magor, uh, who's the Senior Insurance Analyst at Weiss Ratings, and Jean Kirsch, who's the Senior Banking Analyst for Weiss Ratings. And we'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. Are you and your family in debt? Today, over 40% of American households are spending more than they make. And that means our society is getting deeper and deeper in debt. Escape the Debt Trap with host and attorney Kenneth Neely is here to help you avoid the problems involved with debt, including rebuilding credit, finding bankruptcy, short-selling your home, resolving IRS tax problems, and much more. Escape the Debt Trap airs live every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guests this hour are Gavin Magor, who's the Senior Insurance Analyst at Weiss Ratings, and Gene Kirsch, who's the Senior Banking Analyst at Weiss Ratings. Welcome back to both of you. Thank you. Uh, tell people about the website uh, at Weiss Ratings and uh, kind of what kind of things they can see there if they want to look up the strength ratings on either banks or insurers. Well, as far as the uh, background information of what uh, Weiss Ratings is, how they were founded, and what we're all about, that's Weiss Inc. W e i s s i n c dot com, and our uh, rating site, which has the particular ratings of an individual bank, credit union, or in, uh, or a. Uh, insurance institution, it's weissratings.com. 
So there's a little bit of a variance there. Either one of them you could be directed to to either of the web pages. Um, do, so that yeah, that gives uh, your listeners some background. Do the banks, uh, on your case, Gene, object sometimes to the ratings you give them, and, and do you listen to them? And what, what is the back and forth with the institution if they get a grade they don't like? Uh, a lot of times, what happens um, if a customer comes in and says that he has a question about uh, the rating he's seen? Our maybe the customer has seen the rating on our website or, or, or obtained a report or something. They will sometimes go to the uh, management of the bank and express concern over the rating. Obviously, typically the most com- uh, questions or concerns we get would be with uh, poorly rated banks. Obviously, no one complains when they're doing well, <laughs> but. Right. Um, so a lot of times we will hear from the CFO or the president of the bank um, just wanting to know how we derive the rating. And, and we have no problems, you know, being upfront and uh, transparent with uh, what we do to analyze the bank's rating. And, and if there's questions or concerns, we will address them uh, with the uh, senior management. And 99 times out of 100, once they understand what we're looking at, uh, you know, the disparities or uh, concerns are cleared up. So, so it's, they usually concede to you that you don't change your rating very often based on their complaints. Unless there's a mistake or something has been filed that they've changed their financial uh, statements uh, with the FDIC uh, as far as a call report is concerned, uh, typically there will, will not be an adjustment in a rating. On a very rare occasion, if, like I said, if there is a genuine mistake, uh, either on the bank's part or on uh, Weiss Rating's uh, part, then we, we, we will take a look at it. And how about you, Gavin? Is the same thing with insurance companies? Do they complain about low ratings and try to get you to change them? Well, very often the uh, we, we we have received uh, the odd uh, inquiry, shall we say, um, and this is mainly because uh, an agent is trying to sell a policy, and sometimes their clients come in or or somebody that they've approached a potential client, and they've queried why. Uh, a company is rated so low. It, it, it isn't very often that a very highly rated company complains about anything. Um, but uh, in, in our case, we, we do have a slightly different situation because uh, the, the insurers definitely like to compare themselves to each other. And so they, they go around armed with all these prices and, and such like to say, well, we're better than them and we can do this with your money and et cetera, et cetera. And then they, they come across the rating. And if, if it isn't uh, to their advantage, that can certainly cause a concern. And so a lot of the questions are actually originated through agents rather than the insurer themselves. Occasionally an insurer will... Um, query that, and it can be because a number of agents have questioned it. And uh, when we do hear from them, we usually uh, have a resolution that is amicable. And uh, they, once they understand, again, as Jean says, understand what we're doing and why we're doing it, they understand that what we've done is fair. Because we're not, we're not rating them individually against themselves. We are rating every insurer in the same Way So if you've got a property and casualty insurer who's uh, selling you auto insurance, that insurer's been rated in exactly the same way as the next property and casualty insurer who's selling you auto insurance. So we're not picking on any particular company. We're not excluding companies. We're, we're looking at them all and able to compare them all. 
Gene, how do the ratings at Weiss Ratings compare to the big three rating agencies? People are always familiar with Standard Poor's, Moody's, and Fitch. Are, are yours more conservative or are the same company? What kind of variations are there between you and the, the big three? We're probably, yes, we are, to answer your question, we are very conservative compared to the other agencies. As you know, Moody's, uh, S&P, and Fitch, um, you know, they're paid for their ratings, uh, you know, for the company ratings, pay, pay those um, rating agencies. We are completely unbiased, unsolicited, and our ratings are objective based, like I said, on the uh, institution's current financial information. So we tend to be very conservative. I'd like to say we're about a, a grade. I mean, some of them use stars. We tend to be like a grade letter uh, variance from, from the uh, other institutions, uh, where something may be a four-star or we may be uh, maybe a B instead of four-star. I mean, there, there's a little bit of a, uh, you know, a play on the systems, but we're generally more conservative than the other rating agencies. But we're also unbiased and unsolicited, so... If one of the institutions is rated by Weiss as excellent, you can rest assured that that is a very thorough and well-investigated uh, financial strength rating. So you're saying that because they're getting paid uh, by the companies they're rating and because they're solicited, that they're more biased and therefore easier on them than you would be? Well, that's the implication, of course, uh, last couple of years, uh, particularly in 2011 and 2012, there you know, been some questions on how reliable the rating agencies are and how fair they are based on just that there is that relationship there. There, There is some subjectivity to, to the ratings. And, again, it's hard to say you're going to bite the you know, hand that feeds you. So with that regard, our ratings, you don't have to worry about that. Your customers, your, your listeners can, uh, can rely that we're, we're not being – paid by the company to give them a favorable rating so we can get their business again next year. It's completely unbiased and completely analytical in nature. And um, so in that regard, the uh, the customer can rely on that rating as, as being accurate. There was a lot of criticism of the agencies, uh, particularly after the financial crisis, and they were rating uh, mortgage-backed securities, AAA, when there was all kinds of toxic yeah, bonds in them. They, they had a, a huge issue. I mean, a lot of their ratings were like, I mean, you know, they were four-star rating when the company was in trouble or failing. I mean, it, and they didn't change it till the last minute. So there's there's some um, question on how how nimble they can be with the ratings and how, you know, how uh, reliable they are if they're rating a company that's clearly in financial difficulty as, you know, excellent or even good for that matter. So do you think that's changed? There was all this criticism. There were congressional hearings. Do you think that the big rating agencies have changed well, uh, based on all that? I don't think they've changed their model any, which makes our ratings, again, that much more reliable. Um, there was some discussion on doing something, but I don't believe anything has transpired with regard to the way they do business. I believe they still accept money for their, you know, company's ratings. So uh, in that regard, I think the premise hasn't changed, and and I would look towards more reliable, unbiased uh, ratings, especially for your listeners or customers looking for banks or uh, uh, credit unions or, or for you know, uh, insurance agencies. I, I think you would want something that is completely unbiased and, and uh, trustworthy. And, Gavin, in the insurance field, I guess best insurance is a big rater in addition to S&P. Uh, again, how do you compare with, with those agencies? Well, uh, there's a, there's a little difference, uh, really. We're looking at 
absolutely every individual insurer. As uh, you probably know, um, the, the major companies have got many, many subsidiaries. And, uh, and oftentimes for insurance companies, there are subsidiaries within a, a family. And we're looking at the individual insurers and we're rating the individual insurers. These are the companies who you're actually dealing with, not the major parent companies. So when we uh, say that uh, from our point of view, we've had a 0.05% failure of our excellent or A-rated companies over the past 23 years, uh, and yet in the vulnerable area, the Ds and the E-rated companies, that's been 5.48%. We'd like to say that 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 shows that our, our record is pretty solid. If we say it's good, it's good. And if we say that it's uh, vulnerable, then it is. Okay, very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guests this hour are uh, Gavin Magor, uh, who is the uh, chief, uh, the senior insurance analyst at Weiss Ratings, and Gene Kirsch, who's the senior banking analyst for Weiss Ratings. We're learning all about what goes into these ratings and how to know if your bank and insurance company is safe. We'll be back. After this. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio. Voice America Business Network. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guests this hour are Gavin Magor, who's the Senior Insurance Analyst at Weiss Ratings, and Gene Kirsch, who's the Senior Banking Analyst at Weiss Ratings. You can find out more about them at weissratings.com or weissinc.com. Uh, to find out more about the company that rates both insurance companies and banks, Weiss Ratings. Thanks to both of you for coming back. Thank you. So, Gene, I wanted to start with you. We're going to kind of go into the details of what goes into the Weiss, what you call the financial strength ratings. And the first element of that is what you call the capitalization index. So maybe we briefly describe what that is and what that tells you about okay. the strength of a bank. Yeah, I can just to backtrack just a bit. The, the strength rating is derived from a propriety proprietary model that we've developed, and it's a weighted analysis of the five indices, 
and capital being one or the first. Uh, it basically involves uh, a, several of the uh, more prominent uh, capital ratios that banks are judged upon, tier one or leverage ratio and risk-based capital ratio. Those are just a couple of examples of what would be used in, in the capital portion of the index in order to rate a bank. It, it's one of five. They're not all equally rated, but, it, it, you know, capital obviously is a very uh, hot topic or has been in the last few years with regards to the banks being adequately capitalized or funded to withstand financial stress, you know, given adverse market conditions. And how does that apply in the insurance world, Gavin, the capitalization index? Well, uh, certainly it's very, very similar in, in that uh, obviously we're measuring the adequacy of the company's uh, capital resources to deal with a, a variety of uh, business and economic scenarios. Um, but for the uh, in, insurers specifically, um, we also include the risk-adjusted capital ratios that we look at. Now, those look at the adequacy of the capital base and whether the company has sufficient capital resources to cover potential losses that might occur in an average recession or any other sort of moderate loss scenario. So for every uh, dollar of capital that we feel would be needed, how many dollars in capital resources do the company actually have? So when we look at that, some companies have unusual uh, high levels of, of capital, and that may be down to special circumstances, uh, the size of the company or, or the operations of the company. Uh, but, but certainly we also include a risk-adjusted capital ratio that is to deal with a severe recession or a severe loss scenario as well. So we factor those into our uh, capital indexes as well. Jim, we hear all the time about stress tests. Uh, done by the Federal Reserve, particularly the large banks. Right. How is what you're doing different or similar to these stress tests? Well, it's probably very similar with regard the ratios as far as capitalization. We're just taking the bank's numbers. What the uh, Fed is doing is basically setting up a, a worst-case scenario of certain parameters, economic parameters, such as very high unemployment, um, you know, catastrophic, economic conditions and see how well the banks are capitalized against those conditions. So they'll just assume, for example, you know, like higher non-performing loans, and they have their own set of criteria. Ours, we don't have, we're not doing a worst case or a stress test. We're basically reporting what they've reported, and then we rate that against what we feel is an adequate um, capitalization or leverage ratio or risk-based capital ratio and see how they compare. For example, Pre-crisis, the uh, leverage or Tier 1 capital of all the banks was 8%. Now, since the uh, Fed mandated higher capital reserves for the banks, as of Q4 2012, that ratio is 9.16 for the average bank. So you can see there's been quite a substantial improvement since, um, since pre-crisis. Actual, the pre, uh, during the crisis, the capital, uh, tier one capital or leverage ratio got down to 748. So there's been quite a substantial improvement since then, you know, over 30%. Um, and part of that's been mandated by the, uh, Federal Reserve, uh, requiring banks to be more, uh, prepared, um, with regards to capital. So in that regard, capital has, has seen substantial improvement, uh, well above, uh, pre-crisis and crisis levels. So do you feel that most people should should be pretty uh, calmed and, and secure that in case of a bad financial situation, the banks are going to be just fine? Because they all 
pretty much came through with flying colors in the most recent stress tests. Yes, I believe, well, J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs had to uh, resubmit their plans, but the other major banks, were, you know, passed. They were allowed to, um, you know, institute share buybacks, and some of the banks have also increased their dividends. Um, but for a large portion of the uh, banking industry, capital um, should be fairly strong. Uh, if, if, for example, uh, one of your viewers or uh, listeners or customers looked at, um, you know, the capital portion of our rating and saw that a bank was weak, that should be a red flag. And the same on the insurance side, Gavin. Uh, is there a similar kind of a stress test done for if there's a major catastrophe or flood or a whole bunch of things happening at once? Well, the the regulation for the insurers is uh, is really through the individual states. So each each state sets its own um, regulations and uh, controls the the capital requirements for the insurers that are uh, domiciled in those states. Uh, essentially, that uh, this this allows for them to uh, pick a pick a, a relatively friendly state uh, uh, for some for some situations. Um, but in principle. Uh, because they're all members of the uh, NAIC, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, uh, there is some uh, measure of uh, similarity for, for most things. Um, there are, in, in different states, uh, resources uh, to cope with a, a failure of an insurer, um, uh, but the, the requirements for capital adequacy uh, are not mandated across the whole of the country. And, in fact, uh, as far as the, the, uh, the, the insurers that are considered uh, systemically important, similar to the banks, um, there was a big movement towards uh, some sort of federal control. And, uh, to, to be honest, there's probably still a, a fight uh, due between the Congress and the states uh, um, purely over who, who controls the insurers. And we saw that a little bit with the healthcare when they were wanting to have uh, uh, interstate uh, business um, so that uh, pricing could, could be uh, advantageous uh, compared to another state. And that started to tread on individual toes of states and individual toes of uh, people in the, uh, in the federal uh, uh, world. And so this is a very sensitive area. So would you say overall that uh, people should feel pretty uh, safe that uh, if there's a major storm or tornado or flood or something in their area that their insurance company is going to be up to the job? I, uh, I would say it depends on the area of the country you're in. Uh, frankly, um, Florida is a, an at-risk state of uh, exposure to major storms, and it also happens to have some of the... Um, lowest rated uh, insurers um, and it's got a lot of new insurers that haven't even experienced a uh, hurricane that's come through the state so uh, there is actually a substantial amount of risk and it's a very big political issue uh, within the state other places I mean like a Katrina hitting uh, New Orleans and all that if that were to happen today, you think that the insurance companies would be in better condition than they were then? Uh, if it if it hits Florida, um, there will be almost inevitably some insurers who who will not be able to cope. They will go, almost certainly go out of business. 
Uh, the state has got a catastrophe fund, and uh, it, to an extent, is believed can cope with a certain level of storm, um, but it's, it's not uh, adequate for all purposes and all, all circumstances. Uh, and this is something that's uh, an, an ongoing uh, issue. In other states, uh, when you looked up for what happened with Sandy, um, it happened to be that some of the stronger insurers were involved. And uh, so when uh, Sandy struck, uh, there was a catastrophe, but the insurers themselves, for the most part, were able to cope uh, within their relatively um, normal calculations for risk. And uh, they were able to absorb the, the losses that they took and should be able to continue to do that were it to happen again. Another part of the Weiss Financial Strength Ratings is the Investment Safety Index. Gene, how does that work as far as banks? Yeah, with our regard, it's asset quality or loan performance, which obviously is the uh, bread and butter of most banks and credit unions or any financial institution for that matter. So the non-performing loans or how well that they're being paid on their loans, a uh, very important part of uh, our ratings. Um, I can tell you that based on the last uh, five years, non-performing loans are slow to come down. Um, Pre-financial uh, crisis, non-performing loans to total loans, what what the uh, banks have on their books, was 1.37%. Uh, at the height of the crisis in 2009, it was almost 5% of their loans were bad. Now we're just under 3%. So you see we have some work to get down to be before the crisis began in 2007-2008. So uh, the banks still have, and I'm sure your uh, listeners are aware of, you know, a lot of the banks still have a quite a significant amount of their portfolio as non-performing. A lot of them mortgages, obviously, with the mortgage mess that we had. Um, and those still plague a lot of the big banks, the Bank of America's, the Wells Fargo's, J.P. Morgan, as well as the mid-level institutions as well. Of course, there's a lot of criticism of the banks that they're holding on to all this capital and not really lending it out and making it really hard for people, normal people who have decent credit ratings, uh, to well, get mortgages, to get credit cards, small business loans, that they're being too tight with money. Is, that, is there anything to that? Well, there's some degree they have to walk a, a tight line between what the feds want and demand higher capital reserves, so they're trying to withhold the proper amount and more to exceed the, uh, the minimums with also being pressured on the other side to do more business or lending activity. So there's a tightrope. Some of them are doing better than others, and obviously some of that will be reflected in the ratings. Um, but, yeah, that is a criticism, but the banks have to be – I mean, prior to the crisis, they were very lax and liberal with their lending policies. Now they've tightened to the extreme on the other side, so we have to come back a little bit and find the, the balance. Um, is that going to be happening? Do you think the banks are going to loosen up a little bit? It slowly is coming back. I mean, we're far from, like, I, and I don't think we should go back. Don't don't misunderstand me. I don't think we should go back to what it was in 2007, 2008. That was way too, you know, the, you know, you could get non, non-doc, low-doc or no-doc loans, no-income verification loans. Those things are not sound practices, and I think most of the banks will not return to that level of insanity. I think we'll find something that balances what what was more traditionally what was considered credit risk or, or you know, uh, sound lending practices. 
And I think we are getting there. It's slow. I think part of the reason is because the Fed has been so insistent upon higher capital reserves that the banks have been abundantly cautious and more conservative with regard to uh, their lending activities. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guests this hour are Gavin Magor, who's the Senior Insurance Analyst at Weiss Ratings, and Gene Kirsch, Senior Banking Analyst at Weiss Ratings. You can find out more about them at weissratings.com or weissinc.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait, they just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guests this hour are Gavin Magor, who's the Senior Insurance Analyst at Weiss Ratings, and Gene Kirsch, who's the Senior Banking Analyst at Weiss Ratings. Welcome back to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. We're looking into the Weiss Financial Ratings and what goes into them, and another piece, uh, Gene, is the uh, Profitability Index. What are you looking for there? Yeah, this is basically how much the bank made or lost, and it's measured in, obviously, dollar terms, but also as a percentage uh, based on return on assets or return on equity, and those are typical standard benchmarks that... Uh, financial institutions are um, rated upon. So obviously the the average, for example, return on assets, and these are all the assets in the bank, is like typically 1.04%, so just over 1%. That's the 
that's where we at, are at at Q4 uh, 2012. Um, and what are the trends there? Are they getting better or worse? Well, actually, that is getting better, but it's kind of uh, misleading on how they're getting there. The, the average return on assets uh, prior to the crisis was like almost 0.9%. During the low part of the crisis in 2008-2009, they were barely profitable at 0.06%. We are at 1%, so that's obviously healthier. The problem is how are the banks or the credit unions or uh, global banks getting there? And for the most part, they're getting there by trimming costs. Revenues have remained relatively flat over the last year. There's been some nominal improvement among certain banks, but for the most part, they're getting there by cost reductions or cutting costs, and that's how they're able to make, uh, you know, their profitability. Uh, so you're saying that's not sustainable? They can't keep cutting well, costs? No. At some point, you're going to have to actually grow revenues and grow business, and, and that's the big, as earnings season approaches, uh, the big banks start to report this coming week, and I, I think your uh, listeners will want to look for, you know, how are the banks making their money? Are they actually increasing revenues? Are they making more loans? Uh, the big buzzword last quarter was um, net interest spread or net interest margin, and it's been compressed because obviously interest rates have been very low, and and what they're able to charge uh, lender to borrow money is is very low. So the spread is 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 very compressed. So the banks would like to see some relief in in uh, net interest margin by you know higher interest rates at some point that will come. It depends on how the economy does in the next couple of years, but. The banks really need their net interest margins to expand, and they need to make more loans more consistently in order to boost revenues or the top line. And, and, and that's a number I think most of your listeners should be looking for when banks report, not necessarily if they beat earnings, because most of them do, uh, but it's what is the top line revenue growth and what is the net interest margin spread. And how does the profitability index work with the insurance companies, Gavin? Well, it's a, it's a very uh, similar similar process. I mean, we were looking at uh, gains and losses on operations and consistency, and uh, how that impacts on the on the surplus, and whether or not they've got uh, a sufficient uh, investment income compared to their policy reserves, and the, and how those expenses fit into that. Um, so this is actually very important, especially amongst uh, the, the health insurers, because they uh, rely quite heavily on their current uh, earning cycle. Whereas the the life and annuity writers, uh, they they can deal with that over a, a longer period of time. Let's talk for a moment, Gavin, about the health insurance because we've got Obamacare coming in, and there are some people saying you're going to see enormous premium increases from the health insurance companies because they're worried about all the claims that are to come from the general sicker people that will be getting health insurance that have not had in the past, and that won't be affordable for people when they'll. Private insurance companies will drop their health insurance. What is your outlook for how the health insurance companies are going to be coping with uh, coming Obamacare? Well, I mean, first of all, the no, no matter what people believe, um, the the cost or otherwise of the implementation of the Affordable Care Act uh, is not actually reflected in your in your current premiums. Um, the the reality is that uh, in, in order to expand coverage, um, there is likely to be some impact. Uh, on the other hand, um, because there's a larger pool uh, of money out there, the insurers are going to be in a better position to, to take advantage of that. 
So it, it isn't necessarily clear how much, if anything, there would be uh, of, a, of a cost to the average person uh, as, as far as increases go. I think we do have to wait and see for a while and see how that develops. But don't forget that the prices are not uh, mandated by the insurers. They do have to ask the states whether or not they can increase the rates. So if they want to implement uh, rates that are too high, there are legislative controls in there that will... And, and do you think that the, that the states will, will turn these down, turn down these big requests to some Absolutely. extent? Absolutely. Absolutely. They have, the, they have the capability, and in fact, um, during, during the uh, financial crisis, uh, there were some uh, insurers, specifically in California, uh, that became a political hot potato, and uh, they, were, they were turned down. They were told very publicly, no, you cannot increase the rates. Now, they may have been justified, but they were told they couldn't. Yeah. Uh, Gene, on a kind of a more global basis, people are concerned that the Federal Reserve is pumping money into the system. This is happening worldwide. The Japanese are pumping, the Europeans are pumping and bailing out Cyprus, and the Chinese, and everybody's pumping. What happens when the central banks stop pumping money? Is this going to be a big risk to the banking system, and how that, might that show up? Well, I think they're tr the Fed is trying to gradually ease out of um, the your QE3 uh, quantitative easing by setting parameters for employment levels and, and, and certain things in the economy that they're met. So it's not a surprise or a shock to investors or, or depositors or business people in general when that comes. Um, for example, I, I know the unemployment rate, you know, some of the quantitating quantitative easing uh, triggers will be met when unemployment levels reach 6.5%. Now, obviously, we're at 7.6, so we're not there yet, but it, it, it sh we shouldn't be blind. I think the Federal Reserve is trying not to blindside um, the public at large with regard to when they, you know, step off the gas a bit. Um, at that point, hopefully, the economy will have been in, in some type of a sustainable growth mode in order for, in order for that to happen. Uh, based on some of the, you know, the uh, employment figures we had on Friday, there was, you know, obviously the market took some caution to that with regard to, you know, what what the Fed's going to do. I don't think anything's going to change materially this year in far, as far as what the Fed does unless there's market improvement in the economy, which is yet to be seen on a consistent basis. So you're basically pretty sanguine about the situation in the banking sector now, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, right now I expect more, you know, I hate to say it, but I expect more of the same, kind of treading water, and, you know, as far as the global, uh, as far as the domestic banks, I, I see marginal improvement for the next quarter. Uh, revenues, I, I don't see a significant increase in revenues. You know, the economy just won't support that at this point. And banks will still be profitable. There will be marginal improvement. And, and like I said, the banks are getting stronger. It's just a slow road back. Credit unions, to some lesser degree, will have some some success as well. The big risk with the credit unions is there uh, out of this, there's quite a significant portion of the credit unions that are very small in size. So any any hits to their bottom line as far as like po poorly performing loans or large hits that way, they, they really take a hit. So that's their main weakness. As far and, as and get, we, we, we just have to. We're just about to wrap up. I okay. just want to give Gavin last chance here. So you're basically sanguine on the insurance companies, except for the property casualties if there's a major storm. Is that correct? I, yeah, I think the, the insurance companies are in a, in a reasonable um, state of affairs. 
the challenge is going to be all to do with uh, investments, the same as you and I have with, with our investments. Their challenges are to make money sufficient, sufficiently to uh, back up uh, their promises to you and I through the uh, policies we take out. Indeed, very good. Well, thank you both very much. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show, and my guests this hour have been Gavin Magor, uh, the Senior Insurance Analyst at Weiss Ratings, and Gene Kirsch, the Senior Banking Analyst at Weiss Ratings. Again, if you want to see more about ratings of a particular bank or insurance company, you can go to weissratings.com or to see how these ratings are put together, weissinc.com. So thanks so much for being on the show, both Gavin and Gene. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jordan. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.